Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Dylan and welcome to the Dayspring Wesleyan Church Podcast. The best way to stay connected to the life of the church is downloading our app. Simply go to the App Store, search for Church Center, and download the app and enter the information for our church. This will connect you to our church community. I pray the following presentation will inspire you to come closer to God in this journey of faith. Enjoy listening. Today in your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 is what we're going to be dealing with. And uh, I have to tell you, um, oh man, what Dylan was praying about is because this morning as I was trying to finish up my notes and stuff, and there was just so many more thoughts that were coming to my head. God was revealing more things. And I mean, it's just hard to stay focused sometimes when, when God is just encouraging you in this. But I don't know about you, but sometimes um, I think that we see certain things coming like a mile away. You know, for example, when I come home and my kids, like, if they give me a hug and uh, they've cleaned their rooms and they're extremely nice to me, man, I know right away something is up. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just waiting for the moment when they either going to tell me something they did wrong or they're going to ask me a specific question. And usually that question involves me giving them some money. You know, because they want to do something, you know. And so maybe you've kind of seen that coming, you know, and, uh, and you just know that's good. And by the way, that's not even just a kid thing. That can be a spouse thing. You know, the spouse, uh, maybe they've taken care of something. Or in my case, maybe they made the, the meal that I really like. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, mm-hmm, what's all this about, you know. Uh, so you, 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 you know, I mean, you kind of uh, conjure those things up of what think, you think is going on. And then that can even happen at work. All of a sudden, somebody that isn't normally particularly nice to you shows you like a little bit of interest and uh, they start complimenting you and stuff. And then you know that they're probably going to ask you to take one of their days <laughs> or something because uh, they trade days with you on their work schedule and all that. So you kind of have those concepts. But then there are other things that I think are a little bit um, sneaky. Uh, they're a little bit more subtle. Uh, somebody asks you a question like, hey, uh, how would you like to go out to eat with me? And you're like, oh, wow, that's awesome. That's fantastic. And then you sit down. You have this great meal together. Your belly's full. You, you've had great conversation where they're getting to know you a little bit better. And uh, you have a little bit of laughs together. And then all of a sudden, they hit you with this question. And you're like, oh, so this is what we're really here for. And so then you have to, you know, rework your mind and stuff and think, how are you going to answer something to somebody that's been so nice to you? Or what's that sort of what I would call that hidden agenda that comes out? And then there's some people, honestly, that um, when you want something, instead of just asking questions or whatever, you're going to just totally manipulate the situation. All right. So I was reminded of this this week, by the way, by my wife. Okay, so we've been married uh, 19 years, all right? And um, in those 19 years, uh, it's, been, it's been a great uh, thing uh, uh, being with her. But we decided because somebody gave us tickets that we were going to go and see uh, the comedian Nate Bargatze. And so this is going to be a great time. She and I, we were sitting together, we're laughing together, joking together. And I forget how this comes up, but my wife will remember it specifically, and she'll tell me all the information I got wrong after this, okay? So just bear with me. This is my version of anything that I can possibly remember that's coming up. But basically, I don't know if she was doing something or whatever, but I said, oh, you're such a princess. And she said, you know, when you first started dating me, you said you would always treat me like a princess, you know, and I was thinking, oh, yeah, I manipulated that situation really bad, you know. And uh, now here's the good thing. God, I think, has blessed me with this uh, incredible quick wit, okay? And so when she said that, you know, you said you'd always treat me like a princess. And I said, honey, 
I decided that I would treat you like a queen. And I said, so every time we're in public together, I make sure that my head is never higher than yours. All right, so. And for those of you who don't know, my wife is definitely much taller than me. So <laughs> it, goes without, it goes without saying. Um, so she told me, how are you gonna work that in your sermon? I'll figure it out, honey, okay? Now who's the comedian, you know? And, and she didn't even have to pay for that. <laughs> So I think that a lot of us, whether we admit it or not, when we come into certain situations, whether for good or bad, I think a lot of us have an agenda and some of the questions or the way we come into a conversation or come into a situation. We already have sort of our mind made up about how we're gonna enter this. And I have to tell you, even as I was looking, and this is where I got messed up today as I was reading, but I thought about it. I thought even Jesus, when he came to this earth, he had an agenda. I mean, think about that. He had an agenda. And his agenda was basically this. It was to teach and save those that were lost. And we knew that he came into a world that was, had lost its way, had, had, had forsaken him, had forgotten their first love. We also know that even the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were these great religious people who really had this belief and fear of God, even when Jesus came to talk to them, he was trying to teach them and say, look, I think you guys have lost your way. I think you have made it more difficult for people to come to God. And so I want to come in here and, and, and I want to take care of things and, and, and I'm going to take the place of whatever that is and I want to teach you along the way. And so if you look through the Gospels, what you'll find is that Jesus asked like a hundred 134 questions. And when he asks those questions, there is a little bit of agenda behind them. So I've often told you as a congregation, one of my favorite passages and one of the ones that I've memorized is the Sermon on the Mountain, and it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I love those passages, but I want you to listen to some of these questions that he asked in just that. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? I think it's just a great question. Like, why are you just loving those who anyone would love? And he wanted them to think deeply, why don't we try to love those that are hard to love? If he says, then he goes on, he says, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Aren't you just kind of the same as anybody else because you just step into the easy situation? And I have to tell you, like, that messes with you. Because there are some times that we have to walk into some hard situations and we have to love those people that we may feel like are unlovable and they're harder to walk into. He says this, which I think is something that we all struggle and deal with. He says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And oh, how many times do I worry and and just get caught in those moments? And then he goes on to say, and why do you worry about clothes? What's your worry about that? And some of us have to comprehend, oh, I'm afraid what other people will think and I'm afraid that I gotta fit into a certain group and I gotta look a certain way. And, and, uh, and, and again, what he's showing us over and over again that we have forgotten our first love. We have forgotten the one who can take care of us. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Ow. Again, a great question that he wants us to consider. Like, why are we so worried about what everybody else is doing instead of worrying about what's going on in our own life and our own situation and our own families that we can have direct influence over? He asked the disciples after one of his miracles, why did you doubt? Like, don't you really believe that I'm God? And if I'm really God, why don't you just trust that I'm gonna take care of things my way and in my time? 
He asked the disciples one day in Matthew 16, 15. He says, who do people say that I am? And he wanted them to wrestle with that question. You've heard what people are saying, and, and they, they begin to say, well, some of you say you're the prophet Elijah. Some said if you're John the Baptist, come back. And they begin to go over each and every one of these things. And then Jesus points a question to them. He says, but who do you say that I am? And they want them to wrestle with that. Like, after everything that you've seen that I've done for you, who do you say that I am? And then Peter's response is what? You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been talking about. And Jesus responds to him because he gets it. Peter's realized that out of everything you've seen, out of the way I've had influence on your life and the miracles and the way that I treat people, you, Peter, have come to the conclusion that I am the Messiah. And, and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're the rock, and on this church I'm going to build my kingdom. Like, you're going to be the pillar of that. And then it's Peter who later we asked this. You remember after Peter denied Jesus three times? In John 21, 15, 17, when Jesus comes back after the resurrection and talks specifically and eats with Peter around the shore and has some fish together, the one thing that Peter was known for doing being a fisherman. Jesus asked him the question after all the guilt that Peter felt that I denied you three times. And even after you told me, Jesus, that I would deny you, I still denied you. You warned me about it. And I still stepped in to that wicked place. And I feel so much guilt in it, seeing you die, seeing you beaten. And Jesus asked him this question. He says, this is when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, the third time. Do you get what Jesus is doing here? Jesus had an agenda in those questions. Peter denied Jesus once. He denied him twice. And then he denied him a third time. And with each question that Jesus gave Peter, it was a sign of forgiveness. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And take care of my sheep. And then he comes to him a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? I think that third time was probably overwhelming. And can probably hear a little bit of the crack in his voice as he's trying to keep his composure together. Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What a great act of forgiveness. You see, Jesus wanted to restore Peter in that moment. Peter, I know what you've done. I told you you were gonna do it. But at the end of the day, I still love you and I still forgive you. Now, go do what I've called you to do. In church, without any manipulation today, here's what I want you to know as we get into the passage of Scripture. We haven't even gotten into the stuff yet. And I believe that God's already setting his agenda in motion today. Some of you in your guilt and in your sin 
need to hear the words, do you love me? Because you have a Christ who wants to redeem, who wants to restore, who wants to forgive you. And he wants you to continue on mission. There's a story that we're going to talk about today. And I want us to look at the agenda of some of those who inquired about the child after we're coming out of this Christmas season. So let's read together in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented with him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your word, and I I want to thank you for the way that it ministers to our hearts. And I pray today, Lord, that you would set the agenda and not me. Because I know so many times we as pastors, when we're reading a passage of Scripture and going through the demands of life, that there will be at times when we wrestle with what is the word saying versus what do I feel? Or what do I sense that is going on in my own life? And, and how do I take that message and maybe speak specifically to an individual or person? And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't do that today. But I pray that what would happen is that you would set the agenda. You would say, here is what I want my people to learn. So Lord, as we get into the text today, if there's anything that I would say that is wrong or incorrect, I pray that you would clean it up in the ears of your people so that the only voice they hear today is yours. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're starting this new series called Come and See. And one of the things that we talked about in the uh, book of Matthew is this whole, sort of whole thing is like, come and see and now go and tell. And, uh, you know, it starts right the way. You, there's the uh, baby. Uh, people came and saw it. Then they went and told the world. Uh, we see the whole thing again take place in, in the book of Matthew as they see the miracles of Jesus. And so they come and see and then they go and tell. They see his death and then they uh, come and see and then they go and tell. And then they see his, rec- his resurrection, which totally changed them. So they were in a, man, I'm not going to fear this anymore because I know who God is. He's overcome death. So whatever he's asked me to do, even in the midst of all the hardships, even in the midst of all the persecution, and even though I may die for what I am preaching about, they said that this stuff is worth it. So they came and see, and they went and told as well. And so we have in this passage today this sort of come and see moment. And what I want to ask is this, is what's the agenda behind your questions? What's the agenda behind the questions 
that the Magi in this story are asking. Because it says in verse 1 and 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is born, born King of Jews? We saw the star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, before we get sort of started in the question, you need to understand a little bit who the Magi were. Because we have that song in the, that we've sung, I mean, you probably sung it every Christmas, We Three Kings of Orient Are. Okay, by the way, they weren't kings. We don't know if there was three, and they didn't come from the Orient. All right? That song is full of lies, okay? So I hate to, I hate to mess with you right there, okay? These were not kings. This was basically translated a little bit later because they wanted to stay true to some of the scriptures, but let's talk a little bit about who the Magi were. We often, by the way, and I don't mean to disturb your like good um, scene, like we have a great scene up here. We have the Magi coming in on the donkeys. We're not even sure they came on donkeys. <gasps> they may have came on horses, okay? All right, but these were what we consider, and from the translation we understand, is wise men. These were people who were very much into the detail of things. These were the ones who would read the stars, and they would notice sort of the constellations that were happening. They would notice the movement of what they consider stars and what we understand to be planets. And by the way, if you came to our Christmas Eve service, uh, you'll know that, uh, oh, I can't remember his name all of a sudden, Pastor... Wayne, thank you. Pastor Wayne, you remember that Pastor Wayne, as he was talking about some of the constellations? I love what he said, because he's like, well, we have this and this, and we can kind of show this. He says, but at the end of the day, none of this matters, because what really matters is that God loved you enough to put the stars into motion to show where the Messiah was going to be born. But these were guys who would study those things and those concepts, now, by the way, they did probably wear the big hats and they had these like long, crazy things that draped down them over their ears and stuff. And it was to show kind of their wisdom and their grandeur and stuff when they came in. But these guys would read the stars. And by the way, later, they were actually responsible in certain parts of the world. And by the way, they probably came from Iran, is what we understand. But what would happen is this, is by them reading the stars, they had certain codes that they followed. And they would oftentimes decide who the next king was going to be in their area. And so when they were coming into this situation, what you have to understand is this. They had studied the stars enough and know the details that when that star appeared in the east, it was significantly different that they were drawn to it to come and see the child that would be born. And by the way, it wasn't hidden, by the way, where the Messiah was going to come from. That had already been told. Matter of fact, when King Herod grabs his guys together, what do they say? They said, well, it's been thought that this is where he's going to come from because this is what the scriptures say. So they were able, even able to refer to that moment. But the Magi came with the intention that they wanted to find a king. And they wanted to be there in the presence. And you and I have to understand the significance of this moment. Because up until this point, what the Jewish people thought is that, that the Messiah was only for the Jews. But he was now bringing a Gentile group in to find the king and to announce his birth. And so this was a physical manifestation of God to the Gentiles at that time. What an incredible thing to have happen. And one of those responsibilities, like we said, of the, of the Magi was to find a king. And there was these great men who had great wisdom. And what they were coming to find was, is this the one that has been talked about? 
Like we're seeing the stars, we're seeing the ways that things are shaping out. We know that the Messiah needs to come. And because of this star that we're seeing and because of this great wisdom we have, we're going to go and see if this is in fact true. Now, the Magi, by the way, have its roots into the Old Testament. You remember that Daniel, when he was pulled away from his people, he was placed in a group of the Magi as well. These were astronomers. These would be people that would come together. They would interpret dreams and they were to give the king and the commanders great wisdom about things that they were seeing happening around them. And they would use great discernment, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But they came to see the king. And their question was what? Where is the king of the Jews? Now, I want, to, want you to remember that question because it's going to play an important role in the next part we talk about. Because what we have happen next in verses three through eight is this. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Why was King Herod so disturbed? I'm not gonna give you the whole background because we could go on this for a long time. Let me give you the basic concept here. Herod was awarded this kingdom or this area from one of the Roman authorities, one of the Roman emperors at the time. And as a result, what they called Herod was this. They literally gave him the title King of the Jews. Now, think about this. These magi, these wise people are now coming to Herod, who is known as to be the King of the Jews. And what was their question to him? Where's the King of the Jews? <laughs> Herod is like, whoa, 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 whoa. What? Everyone knows that I am the king of the Jews. And it says what? This question greatly disturbed him. Why? Because you would never ask the person who's considered king of the Jews where the king of the Jews is. That would be crazy. And by the way, Herod was a nut. All right? He loved his power. He loved his control so much that he would do everything he could to protect his power. Matter of fact, he would have wives killed to protect his power. He had his sons killed to protect his power. If you read about the total history, this is how insane Herod Herod knew that he was a cruel king. And even in his death, he had arranged that all the great people of that area, if they had great power and they had great control and they had great money, he said, when I am on my deathbed, I want all of them arrested. And at my death, I want all of them killed. And the reason is, is because he wanted everyone to mourn when it was his death. And they knew that they wouldn't mourn for him. But they knew that he would mourn for all these other people. And so he knew that there would be great sorrow in that kingdom around his time. This guy's got a problem, right? He's got a real problem. And so when he asked the question, listen to this, he begins to pull his wise people together, his chief priests, his teachers of the law, and he says, where's the Messiah gonna be born? And they said, Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. So this was pretty widely known, but he says, you in Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And we later know this is important to him, Why? Because, by the way, Magi didn't come when he was a baby. 
I mean, when he was first born. All right, you gotta remember that. How do we know that? It, it doesn't say that, it, that they came to the manger. Where did they find him? In a house. You remember in the story, there was no room for them in the inn. So he was born in a stable. Now we're saying he is in a house. It's important for Herod to find out when the star had appeared for when the baby was born. Why? Because he wanted to kill all those firstborn male children during that time. That's how cruel Herod was. So he found the Magi secretly and called them together. And then it says, then he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may worship him. You see, what Herod was wanting to do is he was wanting to protect his position. And I have to tell you that I think for so many of us, you and I have to decide what have we come to see? Why have you come here today? What are you hoping to see? Did you come to see a king? Did you come to sit at his feet? Did you come to listen to what he has to say? Or did you come with the idea that I want to protect my position? I want to protect my power. You see, I don't think this is just a church problem. I think this is a us problem just in our own lives. Because I think for some of us, we want to have a good marriage, but then there's others of us who will come into the situation and say, but I want to protect my power or I want to protect my position. I think some of us, even with our kids, will find the same thing. Like instead of just enjoying our time with our kids and training up them the way that they need to, I think sometimes we want to protect our position or our power. And hey, can I tell you something? I've been really guilty of this. I feel sorry for my firstborn. <laughs> I mean, I really do. And the reason why is because I wanted him to play certain sports and do certain things. You know, listen, I didn't know how tall he was going to be, but I had him in basketball right away. You know, now I should have known something early on that he may not have been the basketball player that I wanted him to be because during one of the games, one of the little girls was crying on the other team because she couldn't get a basket. And so my son, when he got the ball next time, he handed it to her. All, he almost lost the game for us. <laughs> you know, so I saw this in him. And, uh, and then the guy grows up to be like 6'4", you know, and doesn't play basketball. And that's the first question he always gets, you know. But even for basketball, I thought, I want to toughen him up, so have him play football, which is my favorite sport. And I had him play baseball. Why? Because I couldn't play baseball and I wanted him to do things that I couldn't. And, and I, I was trying to protect a little bit of, of, of what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. But here's the kind of respect my son has for me. He's like, you know what? I ain't doing any of those things. I'm gonna run, I'm gonna swim, and I'm gonna play tennis. And I know nothing about any of those. And if you see me swimming, I'm going to tell you, that's a lie. I can't swim, okay? I'm going to sink. There, there's no doubt about it, okay? I, I keep getting fatter because I heard that fat floats. So, you know, that's, that's what I was hoping would help me. But you try to manipulate, and, and I found myself doing that. I tried to manipulate the situation because this is what I wanted. And at the end of the day, what do I really want for my son? I just want him to be happy. I want him to love God. 
And I want him to be good in the community and his work. The other stuff really doesn't matter. But it was stuff that I would try to manipulate. Why? Because I wanted to protect, think about this. I wanted to protect my position and my power. And I think so many times, even when you and I ask one another questions, even when we ask questions of our spouses, you have to ask yourself the question, what's my agenda in this question? Do I really care about them? Or is this to protect myself? And by the way, this just isn't a guy problem. This is a lady problem as well. Like when you ask your questions, and by the way, some of you already know the answer you want, so just go ahead and tell us the answer. It'd be easier, okay? But we'll ask these questions, and it's like, let's be honest, and let's ask each other, do I really want the opinion of somebody else? Or do I just want them to listen? And let's set into that a little bit. The Magi wanted to see a king. Herod wanted to protect his power. And so we keep moving on into this passage. And what we have happening is now they've come and seen, and now there's this ability to go and tell. But what I want you to know is I think there has to be a lot of discernment in what we tell. And I hope that makes sense. I I hope there has to be great discernment. And I have found this over time, and it's taken me a while. But after a game sometimes where my kids have lost, my son, they won a big game yesterday, my youngest, and then they lost a game. I knew after they lost the game that it wasn't going to be great. You know? And so my discernment tells me, don't say a lot. Because it will be used against you. You know? And so I don't ask them, you know, how'd the game go? Because you're going to be like, me, the coaches are stupid. Players are stupid. The other team, the refs, the, the, you know what I mean? He's just going to go off for a while, okay? And so I use great discernment, like, let's just help shape this. And so then he started out, and I was like, hey, let's sing a happy song together or something. You know, like, I'm, I'm trying to change the situation because he's just going off. And what I've realized is we have to step into that. We have to talk to him. But there's great discernment about when to know when to speak and when to be quiet. And so we get into this, and what I want you to, to read with me is verses 9 through 11. It says, talking about the Magi, after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I love this whole passage because what I recognize is this, is these were considered wise men. And they were considered wise men because, again, they paid attention to the details. And they would look at the stars. They would see how they were shaped. They would saw that one grew brighter in the east. And it's funny because it left, led them to the king. And they asked king here, where is the king of the Jews? And he tells them, I think it's going to be over here. And when they get up to leave, it says that what happens again? The star begins to lead them over to the house where the child is. And so in their discernment, it says that they were overjoyed because they saw the star again. It was bright. It was clear. Everything that they had seen pointed to this being the king. And when they stepped in that place and saw the king and all their discernment, and by the way, you have to remember, the Jews always thought it wouldn't come as a baby. But they thought, that the Messiah would come as a mighty warrior. But these wise men looked, and from what they've heard, 
and what they were experiencing, they had discerned that this, in fact, was the Christ. You and I have to come to places of discernment in our own life. You and I have to come to places in our life where we recognize that I cannot get through this situation without the help of God. And you and I need to be able to discern when God steps in and when his star shines so bright that we understand that we are in the midst of God's presence. There are many a time when I'll sit here in the worship service, and maybe you do too, where all of a sudden I'm overwhelmed with the grace of God. A grace of God that begins to show me that, yeah, Chuck, you messed up, and here's where you screwed up, but here's the good news. I love you, and I want to restore you, and I want to transform you into whom I want you to be. And I sit there sometimes, and I'm just overwhelmed, and like the Magi, I am overjoyed because I have a God who looks at me and forgives me over and over again. Like the song we sang today, he is slow to anger and he is quick to love. What a powerful statement in that song that I just begin to wrestle with. God and all the mistakes that I made over and over again. You've loved me and you've forgiven me. And it's with discernment that sometimes we need to walk into those situations. And that's why you and I need the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that will at times remind us that this is where you mess up. This is where you didn't treat your wife the right way. This is where you didn't treat your kids the right way. This is where you didn't treat your coworkers the right way. And we need to listen to that discernment and say, you know what, Lord, I need to apologize. I need to make those things right. And there are times when you and I need to step into discernment and realize man, that even when the world makes me think that I'm not valued very much, you have a God who loves you, believes in you. And just like Peter was restored, wants to restore you and bring value to your life and says, here is the plan and purpose I have for you. And you may look at this world and say, well, it's not a big plan. Listen, the plan that he has for you matters to somebody. And for that person, it's a big plan. And if you and I can step into somebody else's life and give them a sense of value and worth, what a great thing that we're stepping into. It says that when the Magi saw what they saw, they discerned what had happened with the stars. It said that they laid their gifts down at his feet. And it was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, a lot of times we make these really spiritual things and they do have some spiritual implications. Gold is the sign of just sort of, um, uh, of kingship, of value and of worth. Um, you have the frankincense and you have the myrrh and frankincense is, is just a great smelling substance recognizing the presence of God and, and it's symbolic and, and, and the frankincense is a symbol of holiness and righteousness. And then you have the myrrh, which is basically the idea of what was used to basically embalm people and their death. And I love that analogy. You know why? Because it showed that God is valued. And it shows that God is holiness. And it showed a God who's willing to give up his life in order that you and I might be saved. And there's nothing more valuable than that. And that's what God stepped into. And they discerned it. And they offered their gifts. When you and I discern who God is, you and I should lay our gifts at his feet and says, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. There's a second part of discernment that came as well. So in verse 12, we have it saying, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So again, a dream comes. 
And in that dream, they're given a sign that Herod is up to no good. And so instead of going back to him, they discern that, you know what? It would be better for us to keep our mouth shut to him because he's not gonna receive this stuff very well. So the Magi discern that they should not tell Herod. And I have to be honest, and this is gonna sound pretty crazy, but you and I need to know the times that we speak about God and the times that it's probably a good thing to be quiet. Now, some of you will wrestle that with that a little bit theologically, but I want you to understand this. There are sometimes when people aren't ready to hear what we have to say. And sometimes we just need to be there and love and comfort people. It's amazing how many people, when somebody goes through this traumatic, like death or situation in which they have great loss, and people will come in and say, oh, but God has a plan for this. That's not what they want to hear right now. They just need you to be there and just listen. And if they need to go off, let them go off. By the way, you think that there aren't times to be silent? Uh, if you remember in, in uh, the book of Mark, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. And you know what he tells him? He says, don't go tell anyone what happened. Just go to the chief priest and let him make you clean. And because you had to go to the chief priest in order for them to certify that you were clean. He said, but I don't need you to go tell everybody. Why? Because he still had a mission. He still had a work to do in that community. You know what happened? The man went and told everyone. And guess what? Jesus had to leave that place because he lost his voice. And there are times when you and I may speak without the Holy Spirit directing us. But if we're not careful, we will lose our voice with people. And that's why the discernment of the Holy Spirit is so important. Come and see what God's doing in your life. And go and tell with great discernment. The question I want to end with today is, again, why have you come today? Are you willing to sit and listen and be instructed by God? Are you, want, are you willing to recognize that he's the creator who loved you so much that he sent his son to die in your place? Do you recognize his savior, Jesus, who came to teach us, to mold us and to shape us, to save and teach those that are lost? And then are you willing to be directed by the Holy Spirit who will tell you at times to go forward and at other times will tell you, let's hold up. I wanna do this in my timing instead of your timing. Whose agenda did you come here with today? Yours or his? Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray together. Father God, I wanna thank you for meeting with us in this service today. And I wanna thank you for the way that you just challenged my own heart, my own spirit and what I was reading today. And even this morning, as I just sat there in your presence and, and I was reading through my own devotions and was challenged, Lord, to find the truth in those devotions. And then as I was getting back into the message that had already been prepared, and you're like, oh, by the way, here's some other things I want you to think about. I thank you for those moments where you and I can just meet, where you can set me down and just say, listen, because I want to speak. And I pray that all of us will not just have that moment here at church, but even when we leave this place and even when we find our quiet times, even when we get in our devotionals or if we're driving in the car, something big is happening around us, you would take those moments to just say, just stop and just listen because I want to love you. And I pray, Father, that we would step into 
all of decisions and all of life's complications and all of life's goodness. And we'll sit there and say, what's, what, what, what's my agenda today? And I hope that our agenda becomes your agenda and that we love you with all that we can and we love others as ourselves. May we leave today a changed people who have wrestled with your word. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, church, thanks for sitting here and wrestling with this with me today. I pray that you will go in the freedom and joy of the Lord. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. If you are located in the Marion area, we would love to have you join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fantastic children and student ministries, please visit us at dayspringwesleyan.org. That's dayspringwesleyan.org.